So hi, my name is Richard Bailey. I'm one of the church elders in Crawley Community Church. Um, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be handing back my elders badge. Um, and I'm doing that because my family and I are about to embark on a, a new adventure um, to begin a church plant in a historic town of Banbury. And so today, um, Steve has kindly asked me and Rachel, um, thanks to the power of technology, to just share something about the vision for the church plant in Banbury. And I want to begin by first thanking the Kiss Church work um, because they've chose to use the story of the prodigal son. And unknown to me, um, they chose that because we are actually also going to use the story of the prodigal son. So no further ado, um, let's listen to lovely Rachel as she reads the story from the message version of the Bible. So I'm reading from Luke 15, starting at verse 11. And then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine throughout the country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen who assured him, um, assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get the grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Today is the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Um, and this story is probably my favorite story in the Bible. In fact, um, to tell the truth, I've, I've actually preached on this story, not once, not twice, not even three times, but four times before in Crawley Community Church. So this will be my fifth message of the same story. And every time I preach from it, I've, I've, there's always been something different. And, um, and I guess this time, I guess what we want to say is the story of the prodigal son really embodies something about our vision for the church plant in Banbury. The church plant in Banbury is really about building the church for the prodigals, or what I like to call a prodigal child church. But the thing is, we've not always been like this. We've not always necessarily had the heart to do this. It's something that's developed over time. It's been a bit of a journey, to be honest. And so what we want to do for now um, is perhaps share something about our journey to this point of, of us about to go on this, this adventure of planting a new church in Banbury and building a church for the prodigals. So if you can um, put um, 
wait for the next bit, that'd be great. As I was um, packing up the house to, uh, for our move, I came across a diary that I'd written in 2003. And at that time, I'd been out of church for um, about 18 months. Um, and in the diary, I was, I was really searching for something. I was looking for a family and for a purpose. And within weeks of writing it, I'd found Crawley Community Church. And in my time at Crawley, I've <laughs> now gone from um, prodigal to, to church planter. But um, I've not always been the, uh, the most forthcoming of church planters. In fact, I'm quite a reluctant church planter. When it was first mentioned to me about 15 years ago, there was no way I thought I could do this. I'm too introverted. I can't possibly church plant. And even when um, in 2014 we were looking for our purpose, I'd got to admit that uh, church planting was probably at the um, bottom of my list of things. Um, but God knew this and God uses reluctant people um, to do good things for him. And um, so he's, he's taken me on a journey through this to break my heart for the people who his heart breaks for, the lonely, the sick, people with additional needs, people who are living at the edge of their means. Um, he, he stirred me up and stirred my heart for this so much that I got um, <laughs> called an activist. I'm really reluctant act activist as well as a reluctant planter um, but God uses reluctant people amazingly he's used Moses he used Jonah he used all sorts of people in the Bible who are reluctant to do this and God has led me through this journey to um, from a prodigal to a reluctant planter and a reluctant activist planting a church for prodigals for people who are lonely for people who are are just searching for that family and searching for that sense of belonging Fantastic. So Rachel, the reluctant church planter, the reluctant activist, planting the church for the prodigals. Um, for me, I think the penny dropped, um, again, sort of gradually. I think the, the key moment for me, I think, came about five years ago. I was, um, I was going to a Bible college and about four years in, I was doing a module on mission. And on a, in a particular session, the lecturer, he put on a, uh, an image on a screen, which was a pie chart. Um, representing the population of the UK and um, there was one slice of the pie chart that represented the Christians, the church, there was another slice that represented um, other faiths but there was two large slices uh, that really caught my eye. One was for the unchurched and the other slice was for the de-churched and they completely dwarfed um, the church and I remember at a point being a real sense of God's I guess ache um, God's ache and God's frustration. And when I say frustration, not frustration towards the people, but frustration because actually what God really wants to do is embrace all those unchurched, all those de-churched in the same way the story of the prodigal son, the father wants to embrace his, his lost son. And I just felt at that moment of time that I had to do something about it. I didn't know what I was going to do at that time, but I just sensed that something, I had to do something, something changed um, in that evening and you know five years on here we are we're about to embark on this adventure to plant a church for the prodigals to plant a prodigal child church so my message today is is simple to talk about the kind of ingredients you need to plant a prodigal child church and for me there's three ingredients I'm going to sort of lift from the 
this story and I make it easy to remember I've, each of them begin with C. Now first ingredient um, to plant a prodigal child church is compassion. Um, you need compassion to plant that kind of church. You need compassion to build that kind of church. You need compassion to be that kind of church. And for me, I think compassion is one of those things I think is often undervalued. Yes, people recognize it, but it's often undervalued. I think for many churches, actually, their main emphasis is always about being more correct. That's been their key C. Let's be correct, um, even above and beyond being, being compassion. But here's the thing. God doesn't need a human calculator. God doesn't need a human spreadsheet or a human encyclopedia, um, even a human theologian. Well, he needs a church that can show compassion, a church that can care. When I look at those pie chart slices of the unchurched and indeed church, well, well, what's very apparent to me is that for many of those people that fall in those categories, the reason they don't go to church is not because they're rebels. I mean, yes, sure, some might really dislike God, but for many of them, the reason they don't go to church is because they don't, when they go to church or when they visited in the past, they don't get a sense of compassion. Um, they often feel judged, um, perhaps even scorned, um, or maybe are just ignored. And so for me, there's something about the story, you know, you know and the whole theme of the story is really compassion, that that father shows compassion to his son, even as, as um, Hannah brilliantly did in her story in the kids' work, that God showed compassion, the father showed compassion to us. Um, that's what makes the difference. If you want to be a prodigal child church, you need to have compassion, absolutely, um, from top to bottom. For the second ingredient, um, the C is, is, is what I call a changed mindset. And what do I mean by that? Well, as I said before, the prodigal son story, is, for me, is my favorite story. It's the best story in the Bible. And the reason it's the best story in the Bible is because what Jesus does in this story is that he uses the story to describe God. To his disciples, he described God to his listeners. But the interesting thing, the father re represents God, and yet the father is not really like a God. What do I mean by that? Well, normally when you think of God, you think of someone who who is full of power, who inserts power, um, who takes the higher, the more high ground. Um, who is it's all about being precise, um, you know, and doing things correctly and, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and, and, and prim and proper. But, you know, the father in this story is, is not that kind of guy. He's not really like that. And, and for me, what Jesus is doing in this story is intentionally, deliberately trying to make his listeners into re-envision the Father, God, differently. God is, God is different than how you originally thought he was. God is different than how you really think God is. Um, let me put it in another way. God is not simply able to care. God is not simply able to love. God is not simply able to be kind. But rather, the very disposition of God um, the very place of origin of God is, is a place of caring, is a place of kindness. Um, um, every fibre of God's being is full of kindness. Um, God's entire DNA is riddled with kindness. God is not being kind. God is kind. 
let me simplify this even more. Okay? I want you all to get this. Okay, I'm gonna make it real simple. Okay, one, two, three. God is nicer than you think God is. I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna slow it down even more and say it one more time. I want you guys to get this. One, two, three. God is nicer than you think God is. Now you may think, well, actually, Richard, I really think God was nice. And I'll say, well, great, but guess what? Nevertheless, God is still nicer than you think God is. Perhaps you're a visitor, and this is one of the first few times you streamed our church service. Um, first of all, welcome. And, and, and I appreciate you might have all sorts of thoughts about God, even positive thoughts about God. And, but you know what? Let me encourage you again and say God is still nicer than you think God is. God is nicer. God is kinder. God is more decent. God is more respectful. God is more loving. God is more forgiving than you think God is. And that's the point. The point that Jesus is ultimately making to his listeners, that the God that they've been brought up and taught throughout their lives is better, is nicer than they originally thought he was. And that's life changing. That's completely mind blowing. And, and, and I think, you know, and, 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 you know, if you want to build a prodigal child church, you need to make that shift. You, make, you need to make that change of gear. Um, could you imagine if the entire church on the planet, I mean, every denomination, from the Baptists to the Quakers, was to grasp the simple reality that God was nicer than they thought he was? It would completely change the church. More than that, it would completely change the way they do mission. More than that, it would completely change society. So for me, this is a big one. You know, great to have compassion, but you need a change of mindset. So you need to begin to envision, envision God differently in order to build that kind of church. Now, the final ingredient, the final C, you know, it's not cumin, it's not cayenne pepper, it's not coriander. It's a call, a sense of call. To build a prodigal child church, you need a sense of call. Now, the idea of call is an interesting one because I think it's, it's a bit of a loaded term. Um, for a lot of people, when you think of being called by God, you think of like a big hand coming out from the sky and pointing to someone and say, you, I call you for greatness. But the truth is, um, being called is, is, is often not that dramatic, to be fair. And actually thinking about it that way, I don't think it's really helpful because the truth is, Listen, church, everyone is called. We're all called to be on a mission. The difference is, is not everyone takes ownership of that call. You know, when I was back in that classroom and I saw that pie chart um, and I saw those big slices of, of pie for the unchurched and the church, what happened was, was inside of me, there was something that just sent, I, I need to take some ownership here. I can't just leave it for someone else. I can't just leave it for Steve or Justin or Dave or Chris or Joe. I, I can't just leave it for the evangelist. I can't just leave it to my next, someone else. I have, I have to take some ownership of that. And that's what Paul is all about. It's about taking ownership. And I say ownership rather than responsibility because, to be honest, I, I don't believe we are responsible for mission. I believe God is responsible for mission. God is on a mission. In fact, God even owns mission, but he invites us to become co-owners, to become joint owners, to own our little bit of mission, 
to own that call. And as we do that, as if by magic, we, we suddenly get that sense of call. That's what happens. And so my challenge to, to you listening is for all of you to take a sense of ownership, personal ownership of your bit of the call, that bit of mission. When I look at the story of the prodigal son, what I like about it is that the father never sent his servants to the front porch. He could have done. He's got plenty of servants. He could have sent his servants to the front porch. He could have sent his servants to look out for his son to come back. But no, the father chose to do it himself. He took ownership. This, this is for me to do. I don't want no one else to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm taking personal ownership. I'm embodying this call. I'm embodying this sense of mission. I'm going to do it. I could let someone else do it, but no, I'm going to do it. And that's what it's about. We all need to take that sense of ownership, that sense of embodying and personalizing this sense of call or mission. But how does that work um, you know, in practice? Well, you know, speaking to you guys from Crawley Community Church, well, I think a lot of you, a lot of you are called to stay in Crawley Community Church. You are called stayers. Okay, you're meant to stay. But just because you're stayers and you're meant to stay doesn't mean you can't support mission. And there's different ways you can support mission. You can support the church plants. You can support our church plant. At some point, you know, we're going to need help. We're going to ask for help. And when we ask for help, your job, Holy Community Church, is to say, yes, we will help you. We will support you in what way we can. Um, but it's not just that. You know, you can support mission also locally within this local church. Um, Steve has talked about Tri Church and talks about briefly ways of how you can support that. And so, again, my, my encouragement is to take some ownership and say, yes, I will support that. I will, I will speak to my neighbour. I will come to the prayer meeting tonight and, and any future prayer meeting because I, I, I want to take ownership of the call. I want to take ownership of mission. But there's one other thing I want to say before I end this, this message, and that is... When it comes to call, um, I appreciate some of you might feel your stayers, but I think actually God wants you to be goers. I think some of you are stayers, but actually God wants you to be goers. And the reason you think you are a stayer is because um, maybe you're like Rachel and I, you, you're reluctant church planters, you are reluctant missionaries, you are reluctant activists. Um, you, your personality, you know, you don't like the limelight, you don't maybe you're not one of those people who like to be around lots of other people. So you can't just assume you're going to be the one of the people that's going to stay. But the truth is, as you begin to open yourself up and engage with mission, as you begin to um, take a sense of ownership of that call, often God can do something interesting. Sometimes God does what I would like to call, he throws a curveball. And actually the very person who would normally choose to stay is the very person God calls to go. So I believe our church of 200 people, some of you are going to go. Some of you got to go. We can't all stay. Some of us got to go and, and, to, you know, and start new church plants. Some of us are going to go to support church plants. Perhaps some of you will come and join us in Banbury. Or, or maybe God will do something really crazy and coach you to go to the other side of the planet. I don't know. All I know is God will have some stay and have some go. And in either case, it's a wonderful thing because what God is doing is he, he's asking us to introduce God to a broken world, to millions of people who don't know him. 
Millions of people who God simply wants to embrace the same way the father in this story wanted to embrace his son. And that's ultimately our vision for the church plant. Our vision for the church plant is to create a church where everyone from any walk of life, no matter who they are, no matter what their circumstances or their story, I said this before, I say it's, you know, we want to make a church for the, the yeas, the nays, the gays and the strays to come to, to love of Christ, to meet a loving family of God and fulfill God's giving potential for every single one of them. That's what we want. Um, I'm not quite sure to what extent we, we see that um, happen, but that's what we're going for because we believe that's what God wants. God, God, God sees the, the 7.8 billion people and he wants to embrace every single one of them. And we get to be a part of that. We get to, to plant these wonderful prodigal child churches um, that enables that to happen. Amen. So I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to hand this back to John. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for being the father of the prodigal. Thank you for being such a wonderful heavenly parent that despite who we are, what we've done, what we do, you're just glad when we show up. You're just glad when we, when we come back to you. You're just glad. And all we feel, everything within you, every, 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 everything towards us is kindness. All you want to do is embrace us, change us and transform us. Lord, would you help us as a church to remember this? Help us as a church to really embody, embrace and take a small sense of ownership of your call to mission. And he asks all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.